Our scripture this morning that Andrew will be preaching from comes from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning. I had neglected to identify myself in the day camp videos. Uh, my name is Andrew Sharp. Um, I'm an elder here at the barn. Uh, occasionally, it is my great privilege to preach uh, when Matt's away, and this is one of those Sundays. And this is my first time preaching indoors with the new setup, so this is um, challenging. I'm going to make sure I'm looking at the right camera. So last week, Matt was preaching on 1 Peter, and one of the things that uh, Peter is emphasizing in the second chapter of his letter is the identity of believers. And being a, a follower of Christ has a lot to do with what our understanding is as to who we are both as individuals and as believers. When, when we come to faith, I don't think very often we accept Christ as our Lord in order to have a new identity. We do it out of a need to reconcile ourselves with God we recognize that we have a sinful nature and that no amount of good deeds is going to bring us closer to God. We need 
someone to save us and do that work for us. So we lay down our sins at the foot of the cross and we walk away to something new. We're forgiven and we're unburdened and we're grateful. And we may feel changed, but we don't always, we're not always able to put our finger on what's changed in us. And I think wrapping our minds around the reality of our new identity as believers can be a challenging thing um, for a lot of people. It's, it's challenging for me. So our scripture passage this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2 speaks to that. It addresses the question of who we are in Christ in such a way as to make Peter's readers appreciate the implications of what it means when you're following Jesus. Now, at the beginning of the letter, Peter says that he's writing from Babylon. He's actually writing from Rome, but he's using Babylon as an archetype of any corrupt nation. And he's writing to churches in Asia Minor who have been subject to persecution. It might be political persecution, might be social, it might be both, probably is both. So he's written a circular letter. It's going to be passed from church to church. And he's writing to encourage these beleaguered churches by reminding them who they are. Now last week, uh, at the end of the first chapter, in the scripture contained the reference to the true love, I think the word was sincere love, of believers for each other. And I saw a translation that refers to the unfeigned love of the brethren. And that is true love. That's not a front, it's not a pretense, it's genuine. So when chapter two begins, Peter is reminding his readers, these churches in Asia Minor, to put away malice and deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy. Because those things are toxic in a church. They're toxic anyway, but especially in a church. And they're divisive. Instead, he implores implores the churches to seek pure spiritual milk in order to grow up in their salvation. Milk is... Uh, often seen, seen in scripture as representing basic nourishment. And that is what Peter is asking his churches to seek. But met, then the metaphor changes from milk to stone. And I think this is where it gets, at least for me, very good. Um, he refers to Christ as a living stone that's been rejected by men but chosen by God as precious. If this sounds familiar, it's because Peter said something very similar years earlier when he was arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. At that time, he said, and this is from Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well, meaning Peter. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. It bears mentioning that Peter's original name was Simon, and Jesus changed it to Peter because Peter was going to be the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. Peter is from the Latin Petrus, which means rock. In his letter to the churches in Asia Minor, Peter describes Jesus as a living stone, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Jesus is therefore not only foundational to the church, which he absolutely is, but not only that, he is living, he's an active participant in the work of the church. And even more remarkable is what comes next. We're told that we too are living stones. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house. We are a royal priesthood. Now let's pause for a moment and talk about the importance of stones. In the Old Testament, stones were often used as reminders of God's provision, of his intercession, his connectedness, his faithfulness. Jacob and Moses and others placed stones after they had encounters with God because they wanted to remind people of what God had done. They wanted to remind people of his works. Now, when the temple was being built in Jerusalem, huge stones were brought from a quarry to where the temple was being built. And you can see an image of the Wailing Wall, which is um, what's left of the temple. And it's a high wall, and you can see the stones are massive. First Kings tells us that The stones were cut and shaped in the the quarry, but no cutting tool was used after they were brought to the temple, which is a pretty incredible thing when you think about it, that everything that was taken from the quarry had to basically be temple ready. It had to be perfect, ready for placement. Here now we are those living stones. Living stones telling the world what God has done in us. Telling the world what a Christ follower is. So what do others see when they see us? Do they see kindness? Tolerance? Love? Patience? Concern for others? Each of us ought to ask ourselves, what kind of stone am I? Do people see Christ reflected in me? Or do they see something else? It is a sobering question, it really is. But it's one we need to continually ask ourselves. We need to continually self-calibrate. That the world is 
constantly changing is pretty obvious to everyone. Every day there's some kind of new normal. And we're living out our faith in a constantly changing stream of circumstance. What kind of rock are we? What kind of living stone? Do we hold grudges? Or do we forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven? Are we protective of ourselves and our stuff? Or do we hold onto those things a bit more loosely because we've been given so much? Do we seek our identity in other things? In work, leisure, relationships, politics? At the expense of our identity in Christ? I mean, none of those things are necessarily bad until and unless they encroach on our identity in Jesus. The churches uh, Peter is writing to, their members are largely Gentiles. They're non-Jews. They did not grow up thinking of themselves as God's chosen people. The Jewish people did. Yet Peter tells these churches, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's easy to miss just how radical a message that is. Do you think of yourselves as a chosen race? Those of you who believe in Christ and follow him, do you think of yourselves as a chosen race? You probably don't, because I think a lot of times when we think about race, we understandably think about ethnicity. But here, we're told we are a body of people not bound by ethnicity, not bound by borders. We are part of a royal priesthood. Do you think of yourselves as part of a royal priesthood? You should. And it's almost like a, you know, it makes us feel good about it. I said, well, I'm a royal priesthood. Maybe I should eat better food, have someone taste my food first, dress differently. But we're not to sit back and bask in that status if we were ever inclined to do that. Peter tells us that it's the role of that royal priesthood to proclaim his excellencies the excellencies of the Lord who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter summarizes the, bef- the before and after of becoming a believer this way. Once we were not a people and had not received mercy, but now we are a people and God has shown mercy to us. Peter closes the section by referring to the church members as sojourners and exiles. 
Now he is not suggesting that those churches were comprised of members who were wanderers or nomads or displaced for some reason. Instead, he's reminding them, and he's reminding us, that as Christ followers, we are citizens of a non-earthly nation, a holy nation. And in corrupt cultures, we will feel like outsiders. We know our true home is elsewhere. And we know the world is not as it should be. We so long for Christ's return. When I'm watching the news, like on a daily basis, there's some new atrocity, some fresh thing to be outraged about or upset about. There's disease, there's anger. The world's broken. And it's hard not to sit and watch all of that and think, Jesus, isn't it time to come fix this? And he will. He will eventually. But we find ourselves in this time and place. We find ourselves as living stones in this time and place. And we are essential parts of something large and glorious. And it's humbling to think that way. And it's humbling still to think that we, are, we represent God in such a way that as living stones, we remind others of God's glory, of his mercy, of his faithfulness. Are we supposed to be perfect then? No. God knows we are not perfect. We are still in the quarry being shaped. We are still being refined. Yet we are already part of God's spiritual house. Oftentimes when, when Matt is preaching, he will refer to uh, how Christianity lives in the tension of the already, but not yet. And I think this passage from First Peter reflects that. So to close, I'll return to the questions I think we need to ask ourselves individually, probably as a, as a church. What kind of stone am I? What does the world learn about God when they see me? What does the world learn about God when they see us as a body of believers? Have we cast aside envy, deceit, malice, and hypocrisy? Maybe on our good days we do. If we long to be refined and shaped, though, we need to revisit those questions. So I hope you take the time to do that. Not once, but, but regularly. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is, it is incredible to try to comprehend that we are part of a royal priesthood as believers 
in Jesus and that you have called us to a particular time and place to reflect your glory so that when people see us, they know something about you and your faithfulness and your provision and your love. Keep that knowledge close to our hearts. Let it seep into us. Let it become the blood in our veins. Help us as living stones to glorify you, Father.